Chuck's trucking in. Chuck. Chuck, Chuck, chicken in. Chuck, Chuck, Chuck. That doesn't really suit me. Stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. All right, because three is a crowd, I'm here today once again outside of the bunker. Beautiful weather today. Just very recently. Just very recently, beautiful. <laughs> There's a fly that is really looking to get in here. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he's big. It's poised. Oh, no, 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 no. No, dude. Oh, oh fuck I that. I thought you were going to lose your coaster. Oh, no, no, no. Fuck that, though. Not into that. All right. Well, they're huge. One got in here, and it was a monster. Also, a bee got in here. Like, I warned you not to be the bees. <laughs> so, it's been a, quite an adventure in this, um, this apartment. Anyways, three's a crowd. I think I already said that. Uh, this week, we spent with... An album called Dylan and the Dead, where Bob Dylan teamed up with the Grateful Dead. In case you didn't, you didn't know. <laughs> didn't get that from the title. Uh, so if you haven't listened to the record, please do that uh, before or don't. <laughs> Might also be okay. Uh, we're gonna delve deep into it, but first, Kelly needs to eat a little Big Burger. So I'm gonna go ahead and regale you with a little bit of context. Let Let's look at where Bob Dylan was. In 1987, where the Grateful Dead were in 1987, and we'll meet you back on the other side. So before the tour with Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead, where do they stand? Grateful Dead, we're going to get into. Don't worry about that. Bob Dylan, I think we need a little bit of a timeline. Most importantly, at the end of this timeline is 1988's Dreadful Down in the Groove. Now that record took years of production to make, and Robert Hunter, a member of the Grateful Dead, supplied lyrics that... Clinton Highland noted uh, even the dead had passed upon so that can kind of sum up exactly what kind of record we're talking about and in May of 1987 so a couple of months before he was to go on this tour agreed to do it after years of legal wrangling that we'll explore on some other day Dylan finally settled with his former manager Albert Grossman who was actually dead so we're talking about his wife and estate uh, for about $3 million, in which he retained the rights for all of his works, including the Whitmark catalog, which you can see the fruits of in the Bootleg Series Volume 9. Following this, Dylan had agreed to play six shows across the United States with the Grateful Dead. Jerry Garcia, who had wanted this, didn't care how much it cost. That was good news for Bob Dylan, who insisted on a 70-30 split. To quote Highland at length, to place this in context, Dylan was committing himself to six stadium shows to average audiences of 75,000 at a time when he would have struggled to sell out a medium-sized arena of his own. He would be backed by a band who in 1987 could sell out multiple nights in stadiums at will and who would be expected to play their own two-hour set in addition to their role as Bob's backing band. What was smart business, though, smacked of someone artistically bankrupt. It may have been just a half a dozen shows, but Dylan was tying himself to a band who had all the ambition of one of the great Coltrane quartets, but the technical ability of the Buzzcocks. The person who, under Grossman, had never been known to make a foolish move was now more interested in shekels than a strategy for rebuilding a career that had come from nowhere and looked to be heading straight back there. Ian Bell agreed. He said the Grateful Dead playing on a good day was pedestrian, sometimes, quote, achieving the heights of tiresome but on a bad day 
what with the drugs and even in the 1980s the drugs were very prevalent the dead were quote inept relentlessly so to quote him further in this period the artist had at least one vice in common with his new colleagues they had always been relaxed in their attitude toward what was good enough for the public apparently believing that if they were entranced by their ramshackle efforts the customers would feel the same way a faith that some of the time at least things could somehow come together on stage was part of the price that audiences were expected to pay and by 1987 Dylan had acquired the same view. And for what it's worth, the set lists were explorative. Queen Jane approximately, gonna change my way of thinking. If not for you, watching the river flow, the wicked messenger, pledging my time, the ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, walking down the line, John Brown. But for Dylan, this didn't quite sync up, which we'll explore in a moment. This would be a shift, and to quote Highland at length, if the dead's deadhead devotees thought that their band had invented ever-changing sets and interchangeable arrangements, the real lessons Dylan took away from these shows included how not to tour, what audiences to avoid, and who not to play with. To get to the spirit of the songs, Dylan needed to return to a band who knew how to listen and how to learn. So we're back, Kelly. How was that uh, rendition? How was your burger? Um, it's good. It's really good. They are small, but they're really good. Truffle fries. Those are great. You get so much. Really? At first, I was like two seventy five for some fries that like you have to get because the burger is so small. But then I was like, these are great. That was good. So uh, the ketchup though, Cadman's ketchup. Not endorsing it. I don't care how famous you pretend to be. It's weird. Doesn't taste like ketchup. If you're saying like your Portland's finest or something. The other one's called Portland's Ketchup. Yeah. I think that they've cornered the market on what Portland Ketchup is really going to be all about. And it's much better. Yeah. So. I mean, you were describing it as like fucking horseradish and shit. It's, yeah, there. it's kind of like a weird mix between banana sauce and the consistency is strange. I don't know. Places that put banana sauce out. I mean, I'll never get it. I just don't understand <laughs> fundamentally what's going on. Anyways, we're getting off topic, uh, which seems apropos uh, for, for uh, two a band and a musician who uh, just went off topic and just kind of did whatever. So we're just going to meander like them. Uh, Anyway, so let's play a little game before we start called Kelly. What do we know about the Grateful Dead? (laughs) Uh, Not much. So this is what I knew about the Grateful Dead before this week. Sherry Garcia is an ice cream flavor. I have heard the, t- the song Touch of Grey. I've figured out after listening, like, that is the only song that I know. Uh, they are directly to blame for Fish slash all jam bands. Skull, light, like, the Skull with the Lightning Thing logo uh, and yeah. Frightening Bears. I knew that that was a thing. The bears are scary because they remind me of the Snuggles fabric softener bear, and that thing scares the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's, that's, for another, that's for another podcast. <laughs> um, hippies love them. Jerry Garcia had 
epic hair, like beard and big hair. It was hair. pretty epic, yeah. Uh, Jim Brewer had Jerry Garcia in a pouch. In half-baked. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. Oh, that's <laughs> and, fantastic. And that concludes the things that I knew about <laughs> Do you want to know what I learned about the Grateful oh, Dead? Oh, yeah, totally. I didn't know we were going to do another segment. Okay. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an add-on. It's very, it's a related, you know. Okay, it's related. Part of Jerry Garcia was thrown into the Ganges after he died. Oh, that's his, interesting. His first wife was not allowed to attend the event. She was also not allowed to attend his funeral. Why? I don't know. I didn't get into that. Oh. I skimmed their Wikipedia page, and by there I mean Jerry <laughs> Garcia. It's for like one second, so I wanted to know one thing. You know the other thing I learned about the Grateful Dead? You mean Jerry Garcia, yes. Yeah. Jimmy Buffett had a plane that got shot at by Jamaicans. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope that that features in what I've learned about the Grateful Dead. He took that incident of him, his plane getting shot at and made an album called Jamaica Mistaka. <laughs> That's not the best bit of Grateful Dead trivia you ever heard. And you're listening to the wrong podcast, my friend. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Do you want to know how I, I got there? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh no! So, uh, as being a diligent researcher, yes. uh, during this week, I listened to some Grateful Dead songs, and they all really—I was like, these songs are so cheeseburger in paradise. Like they're so Jimmy Buffetty for some reason. So then I just—I learned more about Jimmy Buffett than I did about the Grateful Dead or <laughs> Jerry Garcia, which I feel like it's more poignant. Come back. Come back, back to Jamaica. Don't you know we made a big mistake? We'd be so sad if you told us goodbye. And we promise not to shoot you out of the sky. I ended up listening to a very curated, because it turns out apparently that we're on like the 50th anniversary, like right now. Of I think they formed in 65, but like the first record I think was released in 67. So there's actually a, uh, a documentary, a four-hour-long documentary, which seems daunting, but actually I love rock documentaries. So I might end up seeing this someday, uh, which is kind of strange, but it's called A Long Strange Trip. It's on Amazon Prime. If you're into the Grateful Dead or just rock history, check it out. I'm sure it's amazing. People have been saying great things. I, however, I went to I went to Pitchfork. I mean, there were so many like lists you know curated lists for where to go to and so i went to pitchfork they sort of set it up basically in chronological order with all of the live takes you know and then had a great like explainer and had a couple of different people writing about it so i basically just followed that for the week and it was not as bad as i thought it was going to be so i started in 1967 and i made my way to basically the 1980s where it kind of like falls off and i think they just kind of do the same stuff. One one of the writers called it cokey. So maybe they were just super into coke. So they were done with oh. that. So it's just like, and I'm feeling like, like that's where we were when we're talking about Dylan and the Dead. So I'm just going to run. Those people could not have been on cocaine playing that slow and with such little passion. Well, but that's what's funny is that there's not always like that. I mean, there are songs like You Don't Have to Ask, Cream Puff War, Viola Lee Blues. They're quick. Like they're snappy numbers. They're not slow. Um, I was kind of shocked by that at first. I was kind of like, wow, this is like sort of like a like a birds type of band, like a folk rock band mm. at, at the beginning. And I was, I was like, hell yeah, this is kind of cool. And I was like, obviously you have to start somewhere. And they definitely kind of 
road some other channel to somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I started there. I listened to a song called Alligator from 1968, which is really fun. Um, and a lot of this stuff is from like really famous places like the Carousel Ballroom and Fillmore East and Fillmore West. Um, a song called New Potato Caboose. It's really good. It's a really fun name. Yeah, and then, and then I got into, I mean, it basically came down to a couple of like, what kind of vibes were you going for? Because there, there's definitely different iterations of the dead. So I'm going to quote really quick the pitchfork like introduction that I came across. They said loosely these 37 entries that are on there, so it's like three pages, 37 songs, um, chart the path where they went from Garage Prague, 1966, Lysergic Jam Suites, 67 to 69, to Alt Americana, 1970, Barroom Country and Western, 1971, Space Jazz, in 1972 to 75 and then epic hippie disco from 76 to 78 eventually arriving at a slow uh, slower evolving band in the 80s and 90s whose creative driving force sometimes seemed to be their own inertia which i think that's the dead i always think of fucking take lsd and like you'll you won't even remember once this is over how terrible we were because it doesn't matter Mm. we're just kind of the background music for you and sometimes i felt that because i listened to multiple songs that were over 30 minutes long and some of them, Dark Star, which is on the live dead, the only Grateful Dead thing I'd ever listened to, that shit was awesome. I listened to the one, I just want to get this correct, I listened to the one from Europe 1972, and it was fucking awesome. That was 32 minutes long. Then I listened to a song called The Other One, or Cryptical Envelopment, Frankfurt 1972. Boring. It just, it didn't go anywhere. Wait, are those multiple versions of the same song? The Dark Star song? No, no, oh. th- those are two different songs, totally. Um... I, I kind of enjoyed, I think, I like the barroom country and western. They were good at that. They wrote a song called Mountains uh, Mountains of the Moon, which is like a folkadelic, a, folkadelic, folkadelic, a psychedelic folk song, which I really liked. And then there was a song called Friend of the Devil, which is probably like the catchiest thing I, I didn't even know that they were capable of. It oh, was so good. good. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, Dark Star was cool. Bird Song, they wrote about Janis Joplin. And the version I listened to was in Ventura, Oregon. Oh, no shit. Yeah, it was really fun. And that was really great. They wrote a song called Here Comes the Sunshine that was from Tampa. It was inspired by the Beatles. And I didn't realize this listening to this 14-minute song, which was actually really good. And I really enjoyed it because this is one of the songs where I kind of wanted them to do this, which is like, noodle, sing a lyric, put a chorus in. Noodle, sing a lyric, put a (laughs) chorus in. It is surprisingly rare. It's kind of like Bob Dylan giving you a chorus. It just doesn't fucking happen. Dark Star has one verse that's sung in the middle of the song. 15 minutes in, and then you got 15 minutes out. Oh my God. It's crazy. And anyways, this song, Here Comes the Sunshine, inspired by the Beatles, but was written about the 1948 flooding of the Columbia River Basin in, in Vanport, Oregon. Oh shit. Just north of Portland, which is everybody was working there after the war, and then it, it was mostly populated by poor and black mm-hmm. residents. And then they had to move here. And of course, Lily White Portland freaked the fuck out as Lily White Portland does forever and ever and continues to made terrible racist rules about where people could live. Yeah. And that was, I mean, and that was really that time. I mean, 48 and then they were doing it throughout the whole thing. Then you got the ballads. So this is in the seventies too. This is a space jazz type ballads. Stella blue comes a time. Great. Eyes of the World, and that's where I kind of fell off. So the rest of the 37 didn't quite get to. But all of those songs were really cool. We're going to put a couple of them on the playlist. We'll put some that Kelly knew on there as well. Um, 
The my, one. The one. The one. My basic <laughs> my basic overall take for the Grateful Dead is that if a song is ten minutes, it only needed to be seven. If a song was thirty, it just needed to be twenty four. Twenty three. You know, you can just take thirty percent of every song and just cut it off. And it's not always cut it off at the end, to be fair. It's sometimes cut it off at the beginning. Surprisingly, there was enough variation that I will be honest, I did not get bored. I was pretty engaged. I kind of liked it. And there were moments, too, in those 30-minute songs where I think it did exactly what it's supposed to do. Obviously, I'm not on acid. I'm not high. I'm, like, at work. I'm doing stuff. I found myself just slowly slipping away. I wasn't really thinking about what I was listening to. I wasn't stressing about about like getting done with an audiobook. I wasn't stressing out about this. I was immediately stressed by listening to a song that was 36 minutes. But once you committed, it felt okay. And... I didn't feel that way listening to Dylan and the Dead. I lit out from Reno. I was trained by 20 now. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Sit out running, but I take my time. Friend of the devil is a friend of mine. So... We had very different listening experiences for Dylan and the Dead. I think I made it through three full listens, um, and that's just being generous because, God damn it, you had this shit on repeat. <laughs> I mean, like, every time I, like, found you or we were, like, talking or, like, you'd call on the phone or something, I would hear this old man in the background, like, screeching about some <laughs> bullshit. Um, so let's – I guess let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Oh, well, I mean, it's not good. It's – I think I just did that thing where this is an album. Here's an opportunity for me to not have to figure out what I'm going to listen to today. Put no effort into it. I figured out that on Spotify, if you have a playlist going or you've picked an album and you hit repeat, because I thought repeat was going to be the single track. No, it'll play that whole album again or that whole playlist again. So I hit that button and <laughs> deal into the dead for days, my friend. So you could also let it end because it does choose something related to it so it would probably go to like another grateful dad or dylan song i know but that's how i get in trouble with every other week it's because true, then like... you're just like oh we're off on another tangent <laughs> buffalo springfield yeah let me just get down in yeah. that and then i'm gonna be down on public enemy and then i'm back in the 90s and then we're like lost <laughs> lost, lost. <laughs> the worst claim it's not as well here let okay. me do it yeah let's do it over yours that's still not good that's still not good let's do we can't all right so i think it's best probably for us just to go song by song um now, Kelly, did you... I know we debated a l- little bit last week on what we were going to do. Did you end up listening to any of the originals? No. No. Okay. I decided against it. I I don't know. Maybe it was because I was lazy or, or what. I think I got... I don't know. It's gonna, maybe I just want to be surprised. Maybe. I think it's best if we just leave it up to you. Like, if you feel the need to do it. It goes back to, like, I mean, however many episodes ago that we, that we outlined that. That if you do want to listen to it, that's cool. I don't think there's any reason for you not to do it. It's just, if you do, let us know. If I were to guess which songs sound the most like Bob Dylan's original song, I would probably say, even though, again, having no knowledge of what yeah, actually okay. sounds well, like. Yeah, okay. Well, this is fun. Yeah. I would say probably Slow Train Common is probably the most similar, if I had to guess. I think that that's true. Because it just sounded like a Bob Dylan song to me. Um, it's also later, too. I, Slow Train Coming and Gotta Serve Somebody are the two latest latest songs, if you will, on there. So th- those were recorded for 79's Slow Train Coming. And uh, this was in 1987. So there was nothing from his 80s output. I mean, he did. He played a ton of songs during these shows. But these seven that were chosen uh, 
are what remain. Let's do song by song because it's only seven. Yeah. Blessedly, it's only seven <laughs> songs. And we'll uh, we'll go from there. So slow train coming. What do you got? Seven songs, 45 minutes. We don't need to talk about the time. <laughs> um, is that an actual train whistle on slow train? Oh, at the beginning. Or is it a sample, yeah. I would like to think, well, it'd be amazing if it was a real train whistle. It'd be amazing if there was a real train. Well, I don't mean like an on an actual there train. There to I mean, run like a, you over. <laughs> like a wooden one. You know, for some people in the crowd, oh there gosh, was a like real a, train. Like a cuckoo. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, I said it's a fine song. I said, I said in italics, okay. I mean, I think it's the best song on the piece. I think it's uh, by far. It was a good choice for the beginning. It kind of gets you in the mood. You're kind of like, okay, you know, I can hear the dead influence or whatever, but like, we're going to be moving. You know, it, it, I think it set the tempo for what it could have been and then never, never even got close to achieving. But yeah, the, that I think is by far the best. And that's saying nothing. Yeah. It's got like a, it's very 70s sounding to me. Um, boring as fuck. Just like most of the songs on this one. Uh, had like totally funk guitars, which was fun, and it felt felt really familiar. Like that that sound, and it must just be. I feel like it's because it's just music from the seventies to me. Like it, like Pink Floyd, but not Pink Floyd. Just the, the effect on the guitar. That bam bam. Um, anything else to say about? No. Slow <laughs> no, no. Nothing at not. all. All right, so I'll kind of I'll move it then. I want you. One out of ten. Wouldn't do again. Which kind of sucks because the guitar in this is great. The guitar is so exactly like the 66 version from Blonde on Blonde that it almost again why like what are we doing then like I want you to radically make these songs your own make them different this sounds like he's just playing along yeah it uh, seems weird that you would record the song so similarly but like worse like why would you make a worse version of the song yeah and I'll get into the idea like because I do want to talk about that. Like, what what is the point of playing live music? I know it seems like a lot to tackle in a Dylan and the Dead episode of a Bob Dylan podcast, but I kind of want to talk about it. So we'll get to that later, for sure. My biggest problem with this is not only does it sound so much like the original that it just becomes a degraded version of it, Bob Dylan doesn't know the lyrics. He's not singing it correctly. Really? Singing it out, it's not even interesting whatever he is singing. So you've changed it. But you're only going to know if you changed it if you're, like, weirdly paying attention. But I'm trying to, like, trip here. And what am I supposed to do? And I feel like this would have been a really good one to have, like, some weird-ass noodly bullshit that the Grateful Dead can do, but not in 1987. That's that's the thing that I found so hard to accept. This would have been fun in 72. This would have been fun to have a, a powerful band playing a 30-minute version of I Want You. Okay, I might not like it. I might not ever listen to it, but I would, I would, I would be happy that that existed. This, however, is I just I asked, how is this any fun to play? Is <laughs> how is how is this fun? I what is fun? I said something very similar. Um, the very first thing I said was, "Open your mouth when you sing, Bob. Enunciate, please." The second thing I said was, "If you don't want to sing this song, why should I want to listen to it?" Because that's how I felt the whole time. Praying hands emoji. <laughs> For me, this conjured an image of being on a merry-go-round, but like the like that would be a weird song that's playing in the background. But it's an awful merry-go-round where you always drop your ice cream. Every time you get in there. You know, I want you is the good merry-go-round where they have all the up-to-date like animals and stuff more than just horses. There might be like a lion to jump on. This is the one in horror movies that you always get splinters from, and you always drop your ice cream. Yeah. Oh, I also put Margaritaville, so this must have reminded me of Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then, gotta serve somebody another 
fairly faithful rendition and also this goes along same album as slow train um i said that this sounds like they were going to do a solo at one point oh yeah me too (laughs) really yeah whoops almost soloed without permission uh i was actually reading uh bob dylan because he would only rehearse like two or three times he uh whenever he would want to do a solo he would basically just be looking down at his pedals or whatever or maybe his back to the dead in the crowd or whatever and he would just look over at jerry and jerry would be like queued up and they would start soloing you know and then basically whenever bob felt like we've gone too long you know he'll look back and so i felt like here it's like bob just forgot to look (laughs) and and jerry was like we got to fit this in somewhere. So he's like, I'm going to do it now. Oh, I'll pretend to, I'll just keep soloing. It's weirdly around the lyrics. And he did. Sounded okay, admittedly. It, he pulled it back for what it's worth. It's really funny that we both got that. Like, that was the yeah. beginning of something almost. Oh, oh, okay. I thought we were going to go. I was looking this whole time. I was like, maybe there are some epic solos I missed, but nope. Yeah. No. Nope. Trust me, I listened to this, this fucking record all week and there's nothing. There's no. nothing interesting This This then got me because I was bored. I was looking at my Spotify and I was like, looking at the cover, which, I mean, the cover is a work of... Art? 70s magic. It's a, oh, 80s. We're in 87. Oh, yeah. 89 is when it was released. It's kind of cool. It's really graphic. Like, not like graphic, like gory or nudity, but like the graphic as an art composition. You see, and I, I feel like it's misleading. Now, the Grateful Dead, for all we know, could be skeletons. I mean, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> Bob Dylan, they just put little 60s Bob Dylan up there. They put Mod Bob. And Mod Bob is dead. He's gone. And so this idea that you're selling like don't worry guys if you want to come listen to I Want You and you know like um, all the other songs <laughs> all the other songs this is not a revival of 60s Bob Dylan to the queen of spades and talk with my chambermaid she knows that she's not afraid to look at her she is good to me and there's nothing she doesn't see she knows where I'd like to be but it doesn't um, I think this is my favorite song, actually, God to Serve Somebody. Oh, yeah. nice. It was, like, groovy, and uh, I put a note that says, tough 70s, cop beat 70s, cowboy 70s. Apparently, I thought it was a very tough, rough and tumble 70s song. I don't know. All right, so the next one is one of my favorite songs, uh, Queen Jane Approximately, off of Highway 61 Revisited, 1965. This, uh, just like I want you, is a, an abomination. <laughs> uh, it's it's terrible. I just wrote slow, boring, formulaic. Uh, the piano sounds pleasant. It like, kind of kicks out, out of nowhere, so I kind of enjoyed that. Um, and then I said the alternating of the chorus could have been okay, but it just made me assume that Bob Dylan forgot the words and so needed to be reminded because <laughs> you would get, you know, Jerry singing before he would do, which is fine. Like, I get what they're doing, but it just didn't work for me. Um, and then basically this is where I just started kind of losing my shit. And I was like, isn't the appeal of having the dead uh, for them not to just be a generic backing band? Because at this point, nothing so far, we're halfway through this record, has indicated anything except they're just kind of a slightly differently tuned backing band, you know, kind of a louder bass and some kind of wacky guitar tricks, but nothing has indicated that this is the grateful dead. If you listen to this, I don't think that you can be like, that's the dead. And so that just made me think like, 
what are we doing? You know, they're just sort of, sort of chiming in on Bob Dylan songs. I'm sure it's a rush for them to play with him, but it's not a rush for us to listen to it. Yeah, I mean, that goes kind of back to the motivations of what, or not back to, I guess we should talk about the motivations of why this record was made. Maybe we'll wait until we get through all the songs to talk about that. But yeah, what's the point? I mean, you have a very iconic band that's recognizable for what they do, rather whether or not you like it. It's, they're unique at the time, for sure. So why not make it sound like them? Like, isn't that the appeal? Let's change these Bob Dylan songs. No, we're just going to play them worse. And then I also think on, on that vein, it's like, who is this then being sold for? Is this being sold for more as a Bob Dylan record or a Grateful Dead record? Because something about them that is shared between the two of them is the bootleg culture. I mean, I think probably second only to Bob Dylan is the Grateful Dead. I mean, their whole entire existence is built upon the free exchange of bootlegs and all the shows that they do. So I would assume that Deadheads, because no one ever talks about their studio albums, I wonder if they just expected nobody would buy this album if you're a Grateful Dead fan. And so it was basically like, we need to make you sound like Bob Dylan's backing man. This is a Bob Dylan record, less of a Grateful Dead record. And I get that because I'd rather have a Bob Dylan record than a Grateful Dead record. But I would have liked a combination of the two. I would have liked this to be very strange in his catalog of this weird moment where he like, I mean, there was talking of him, it got so low he wanted to join the Grateful Dead, which is another story in and of itself. But it would have been fun to listen to these songs, even today, where you're just like, they can still be terrible, it could still be shit, but it would be fun if it was like actually Grateful Dead. Small Town Gay Bar, apparently the song made me think that, uh, which I think of a lot of Bob Dylan songs, I guess. Yeah, you're totally on that Small Town Gay Bar. Um, it made me think, I guess, again, specifically of that scene in Boys Don't Cry, where What's-Her-Name is singing Bluest Eyes in Texas, but that song actually sounds nothing like this. That song's much better than this. Your um, connections, for the most part, never make a lot of sense <laughs> until they're explained ad nauseum, and you finally get the connections in your head, and then we're like, cool, we got it too. Wasn't worth it. We slowly build a house. Well, it's like Bob. It's like, you gotta sit through a nine-minute song coming up. Well, let's hope we can build that house. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, he doesn't. You want somebody you don't have to speak to Won't you come see me, Queen Jane Ah, won't you come see me, Queen Jane Joey Uh, there's not a whole lot saving this song. We're going to save the complete destruction of this piece of shit song for whenever we get Joey. Oh, no, no, we'll talk to... about it. But oh, we're going to do all these. Yeah, all of these songs are still oh, available. no. <laughs> you see, I would oh no. I would actually only oh no Joey. I put no-y with four O's. Because <laughs> I'm so clever. Uh, Dylan oh. does a great impressionation. Impr- wow. Dylan does a great impressionate. I put the word impression. That's why I should read what I wrote. Dylan does a great impression of a cat in heat. Just the words Leonard Skinner. I don't know who is more bored, me or Bob Dylan. Too long with like 40 O's. Yeah. Oh my God. There's still two more minutes of the song left. (laughs) Yeah. This was definitely my least favorite of... My least favorite is being generous. This was the the worst. The worst in a, in a sea of not greats. This might, I, I think you just, let's remember Joey. Let's remember this moment for now. Because so far we've done, this is episode 15. I think that this is without question. And I'm including King of France here. 
this is the worst song. I mean, do you feel the same way? Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, even King of France, it was fun. We were having fun. And there was a song underneath that that's better than fucking Joey as a fully realized actual song. So Joey is terrible, and Joey brings up a couple of things. Now, I'm not going to get into Joey the song, because we will do that. We will go into Joey Gallo. We'll go into Bob Dylan's weird ideas about religion and redemption. And But I want to bring up something about live music, which is you're subjecting this group of people to listen to this almost 10-minute long song, right? There, There is an, almost an obligation, right, as you as the artist. So they either know the song on some level, right? So they're like, cool, it's Joey. We're singing along to Joey right now. Or you are there to tell a tale, right? So this audience has never heard Joey. So I'm going to get up here and I'm going to play you a song about this person. Playing it live, I think, is pretty ballsy because it's terrible. And it's repetitious. That is not out of character. And so I wrote down, I was thinking about all of his long songs. And I was like, Joey only works as a long song because it's a narrative song. It's telling you a whole story. And I said that Dylan's songs, and I'm like, all right, let me let me think about these long songs. So I'm talking about Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. I'm talking about Brownsville Girl. I'm talking about Hurricane, Black Diamond Bay. All of those songs are over seven minutes, eight minutes long and are great, right? And so Joey, let's say Joey's the worst of all of these. That's fine. These all have very simple beats. They're the same thing throughout the entire thing. There's not a whole lot of variation. There's not a whole lot of weird drum fills. There's no solos. There's no nothing. We've encountered this a couple of times with Bob Dylan where this song is pretty simple but it lets his lyrics shine. So Joey, in theory, would be a moment for Bob Dylan's lyrics to shine. They don't shine. That's fine. Anybody listening to this wouldn't even be able to... What would they get from it? Except for nine minutes of the same beat over and over again as he tells a, to- a story that only he can hear. But also, what do you get as a human being up on stage singing about this song? Does Do you get anything? I don't know. They I don't must know. have, right? Otherwise, why do it? Well, he didn't. I mean, I guess that's also the point. He felt so disconnected from every song he fucking chose. So why not just Joey? And apparently, on one of them, he killed Joey by accident on verse two. Huh. Because he didn't... He said the wrong words. Yeah, he, well, he fucking forgot how to sing the song. And I was like, if only. <laughs> we killed him in episode two, and then it was over. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's just a rambly rant of just... If you're not bringing any, anything new or even trying to articulate, then what's the point? Of you just going up there and like doing the same chords for nine plus minutes. Boom, do, do, boom, do, do. It's just so slow and stupid. Oh, God. I know. It's not really the most like articulate. Um, well, it's a really bad takedown. song. It's a bad song, but I'm also just like, I'm curious as to why artists do this. Because I've been to many a show where it's like, why are you playing this? Not that like you shouldn't try new stuff or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's an obligation to like, if you feel it and you want this to be known, like you've got to put something of yourself into it. And I think we've talked about Bob Dylan earlier and the bankruptcy that he felt from all of this. I think this, this is the moment that is for me the most bankrupt on this entire uh, album. I have kind of an anecdote about that kind of situation. Okay. So Placebo, which is a band that I like a lot. um, When I saw them in Budapest last year, it was their 20th anniversary of their first album. Yeah. I think of the, yeah the first song, and their most famous song, bar none, the one of the only two that made it over here. I guess they had some later on infrared. Anyway, uh, is without you, I'm nothing. So everybody wants them to play that song, right? So before they even come on, they play the music video. This is the weirdest shit I've never seen this happen before. They play the music video for the song, and I was like, okay, this is weird, but this is kind of cool. I guess like you know we're still getting ready or whatever. Yeah, maybe they'll pop so, out and play it again. Yeah, right that'd be cool. 
So I was like, well, you know, they're probably going to play it. And like, fucking an hour plus later, they still haven't played the song. I was like, they're not going to play it. <laughs> These assholes are not going to play this song. And they didn't. They fucking didn't. And I, I think, like, I mean, he's, Brian Malonko is kind of a, a dick. But uh, I think that's it. You, he avoided that situation. We don't want to play this song anymore. Yeah. We don't like this song. If I sang the song right now, I would be pulling this Bob Dylan dying cat garbage. Where I don't want to be doing this. But yeah. here I am. And as much as mad as I was that they did that, because, like, how dare you, really? Like, how dare you want to play the song? The but play the music video. Like, it would have been badass if they were playing the song and the yeah. music video was going. That's the move that you make. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, placebo, as if they give a shit. He definitely doesn't. Uh, but I, I think at some point, artistically, if you want to maintain that integrity and that passion and that, like, good performative quality, maybe you just don't. You just don't play those songs. And they experimented with lots of stuff. And I'm sure Joey was just another experiment. And that's what makes it all weird. I mean, I brought it up in the whole, while you were eating your burger, you know, all of the choices that could have been made um, for other other songs that could have made this cut. And they would have been unique, good or bad. If we had songs from John Wesley Harding on here, like the Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, if we had Wicked Messenger, this out this would have been this would have been standout because it would have done something that Bob Dylan albums don't do, which is take fucking chances. And Bob Dylan was given overall control of it, so he didn't he did what he does best, not take a fucking chance on these live albums. And he puts all of the shit. Joey could have been fine. You played Joey as one of your shows. You didn't you know, you probably only played it once. This was probably the only time. I mean they played a lot of songs. <laughs> but then you picked it. You picked it of all of the songs. I'm sure like some weird feelings about all of this because it kind of was always set up to be shit. It was never going to actually be good because Bob Dylan was not in that mind space. He was not in the spot in his own head where he was like, I'm going to give this something. I'm basically here to do what uh, you think I'm here to do, which is I'm cashing in. I got bills to pay. I got kids. I got lots of kids yeah, and I'm cheating all left and right. I've got so many partners. I got kids being born from these partners and that's me. I got babies uh, in different areas. Yeah. And also Bob Dylan was, you know, he never got into the heroin or anything like that, but he was definitely a drunk and he was known to drink fucking Kahlua and get real drunk and have to be pulled off the piano at 3am and fucking hotels and stuff. So, I mean, he wasn't in a good place either. And I think even this late. Oh yeah, absolutely. Huh. He's, he, he's worth over a hundred million dollars and he's just gets to roam around and do whatever he wants. And that Bob Dylan today is great because he's smart and a great songwriter. And he always was, but the Bob Dylan in the eighties, after all the divorces, after all the shit, after how much money he's probably given to everybody, you know, to raise his kids and all that kind of shit, his own personal life was fucked. And I think that really impacted his his music, obviously. I mean, he was just doing stuff because he knew he could to make money. Let's just uh, lump the two together. All along the Watchtower, knocking on Heaven's Door. I think we're both familiar. Uh, I'm obviously I know both familiar. Of these you know both of these songs. So we do know the versions that come along. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the Bob Dylan versions for either one of these, but I don't think so. Yeah, but obviously Jimi Hendrix for all along the Watchtower, and then we've got Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is Guns N' Roses. Guns N Roses. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and knowing Jimmy and knowing uh, <laughs> Guns N' Roses, Axel, how do you feel about these versions compared to those? I put uh, for all along the Watchtower. That sounded a lot like Santana to me, the way the guitars were. I uh, that is maybe the weirder 
yeah song of this entire one that's the only moment i feel like it's not a grateful starting butt in no, but uh, the grateful dead they're not going to get their weird hazy noodly uh jam band 72 vibe they, i think they were trying as i'm sure every band including bob dylan since Jimi hendrix covered this to kind of toe the line but trying to be original, but then trying to fucking slam dance the way that Jimi Hendrix can mm. on a guitar. And I felt like this was the moment that I kind of liked because he was going for it. I mean, I don't know if it was Jerry or, or Bob or, or Hunter or whoever it was, but they were getting it. I mean, the guitar stuff was pretty okay on this. I thought so. I was like, oh, okay, you're you're trying. Jimmy greater than Noodle. So <laughs> Yeah, I just said, but it's kind of Jimmy, just uh, as it always is. And will be for all time. I mean, everyone's going to try to. Just rip that off, but not rip that off. The good news is it's still a solid song, even in this version of it. I agree. I agree. Song. I agree. I think this would be my number two after um, Slow Train. So Yeah, I would probably put this in my number two after that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then knocking on Heaven's Door. Uh, shit. Just pure shit. Yeah. I I, had to really, I was like, ugh, his voice. I'm so sleepy. The guitar echoes are kind of fun. And that was it. Right. <laughs> I mean, the only good stuff about this entire album is, like, there are moderate times where the band, or I'm sorry, the dead, I wish it was the band, uh, where the dead uh, hit a guitar pedal, uh, and it <laughs> made a cool effect, you know, or uh, I guess it's not Pigpen, but whoever's in the back, bring, like, hitting fucking weird piano music, great. Like, those moments are, like, the only times where you're, like, you even feel a spark while you're listening to this, because otherwise it is just dreary. Mm-hmm. It's dreary. The whole thing's dreary. It's and, real boring. It's just really boring. Yeah. Which is why I never really wanted to get in the Grateful Dead because that was my impression of them as on, on the whole. It's just like. And like I said before, that's why it's so disappointing is like I fundamentally this week was not bored. I don't think I'm a deadhead by any stretch. I don't think I'm even going to really listen to the Grateful Dead ever again. But I will admit that I, I do not see the Grateful Dead in the same light that I used to. Even in one week, I was able to like truly engage with something. And I think that says a lot. And I think that's also part of what we're trying to do here is like. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about people like Bob Dylan or the Grateful Dead. And I think it's up to us to sort of, if you're curious in any way, jump in, just, just jump in it. a little yeah. bit and you can, you don't have to go all the way, but I think you'll be surprised that some of the stuff you thought really wasn't kind of the way it was. And I think it brought a new dimension because instead of just thinking that all of this is shit, I actually long for a record that's more like the Grateful Dead. And I think even if I didn't like that, I would appreciate it a lot more. And and knowing what the Grateful Dead were doing behind the scenes that we went into earlier also gives me a lot of hope. I mean, they really wanted to play some of these really deep, fun cuts, Walking Down the Line, John Brown. I mean, all the songs that I went over. That's cool. You know, because I would assume that bands stay, if they got with Bob Dylan, they just want to play Blowing in the Wind. They want to play All Along the Watchtower. They want to play Knocking on Heaven's Door. I mean, God damn it! how many times do we need to have those be on a record? Mama put my guns in the ground I can't shoot them anymore That long black cloud is coming down I feel I'm knocking on heaven's door I think that's it. We were going to talk about, um, just to note it really quick, we were going to talk about Bob Dylan's Nobel speech, uh, Nobel Prize speech that he gave. Um, You can listen to it on SoundCloud. Uh, He delivered it, I guess it was June 4th. Um, We both listened to it, took some notes, but I feel like we're kind of going long on this one, so I don't want to shoehorn it into here. 
so next week, um, if as long as we get a song, I mean, if we get another album, maybe we won't, or maybe we'll do a supplemental of some kind. But if we just get a song, we'll probably at the very end of it talk about that speech and just kind of go over our thoughts and, and things like that. So just want to make sure you know that we know that it happened. So. <laughs> I mean, we're not a Bob Dylan news source. I mean, we're not going to hit every single little tiny detail, but I think this is pretty big in his life and career and for Nobel Prizes and literature in general. So I think it's it's worth sitting down and actually listening to it at, at great length. Oh, so. yeah. Go listen to it. It's only 27 minutes, and it's and actually it's really cool. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I love to hear his voice. I mean, he's got a great voice. And, he does. And, and I guess it's also a good time for us to mention as well that we're going to be doing another supplemental here really soon. We are going to start listening to the Theme Time Radio Hour. So we're just going to listen to it for the week uh, along with what we're listening to, and then we're just going to come back and talk about the songs, talk about whatever sort of uh you know categories uh we choose and we'll probably go in order at least for now so we'll probably start with episode one so stay tuned for that as well so before we go let's do our recommendations kelly so in addition to the amazing album that we listened to dylan and the dead uh what else were you listening to um keep hope alive and not um slit your wrist (laughs) oh my goodness that's a little dramatic I don't know. I didn't really listen to a whole lot of music actually this week. It was just this fucking album. I mean, listen to you, Grateful you Dead. You didn't know how to turn off the repeat. The so repeat, it's just right. Still going. Which was bad, bad yeah. times. Um, I did listen to the Thirteenth Step uh, again for the first time in, gosh, maybe like six years, which is a Perfect Circle second album. Uh, that is one of the two, I think, albums in my entire life that I've ever bought the day it was released, like waiting outside of FYE for it to open so I could get it. Really? Yeah. I, I, it's still great. I mean. You know what the last CD I did that with? Hmm. Bob Dylan's Modern Times, 2006. Yes. At the Best Buy. Very nice. Norfolk, Virginia. I don't remember how I even. Oh, I must have been reading something. And that's why I ended up listening to the album again. I must have been reading something that was talking about alternative music. I don't know. I only listen to deep dives in 90s garbage all the time <laughs> but i came across this thing that i thought was actually it made me feel very validated because it was like this time period for alternative rock a perfect circle stands out amongst everything there was a perfect circle and then bands that sounded like them and pretty much nothing else like as in they were the ones i i was so into tool when i was younger like tool was my favorite band Maynard james keenan is the like the center of my universe and nothing else matters um as i get older Tool feels further and further away from me, and Maynard as a person feels very, very, very far away, uh, which is, I think, fine, which I think is for the best. Um, but A Perfect Circle is still great. Like, I think he was really smart to split up those bands, and I think James E. is great. Um, and it's just, it's what really good. What was the last record they did? Well, they only did three, right? So they yeah. had the first one, which I can't even remember the name of now. Uh, 13 Step, and then the last one was Emotive, which was kind of like a protest album. It came out the day of uh, the election um, for Bush Jr. Oh. in uh, 2004. Yeah, four. Wow, so they haven't played for a long time. No, they actually did a couple of like pop-up shows in 2014, of course. 10-year anniversary of it. Uh, but I did get to see them, um, I think oh, twice nice. when they were around. Yeah, so I saw them with the Mars Volta. Up. Oh, that's right. And I hated the Mars Volta <laughs> because their, their sound was messed up. For it, yeah. In my defense, their sound was messed up. Um, and then I saw them again in, oh, at Red Rocks, which is the my still oh, my favorite God. concert venue yeah. of all time ever, yeah. which I think a lot of musicians feel that way too. Right. Um, that would be that would be a treat. Yeah, I messed up and I smoked pot while I was there because somebody was just handing it around. I don't right. I don't smoke pot at all now, but I did a, but even then I was kind of like not smoking yeah. anymore. Yeah. <sighs> 
and they put on a really really weird show <laughs> like there was a guy legit i think it was uh danny reinholder oh my god danny loner danny reinholder reinholder is just like nom de plume danny loner came out in a legit lobster costume and i was oh, no. so confused <laughs> for the longest time i was like did that actually happen oh i did okay we're, we're fine now but yeah that's uh it was a long tangent to go on about a perfect circle. I, I they were a really really important band to me. It's nice to go back and listen to stuff like that where you've changed so much as a person, uh, and it still feel good. Like you, this band, even though I've grown and changed, I guess they were evolved enough where whatever to get what they were, they still make sense to me now. Yeah, for for better or worse, and that was nice. And yeah, well, I know we we went out to get food earlier in the week, and we it was like weird new metal alternative rock (laughs) yeah and it's weird because you know i raged against that just on principle as this punk rocker even though i knew all the songs of course and you were super into them you know and it's like it is weird what sort of stuff comes and goes and falls away and what sticks in the end you know and i don't know oh also i watched all of atlanta it's amazing it's a fantastic show if you haven't seen that last year you should go watch it (laughs) it's not coming back for another year so Perfect. Um, mine are pretty simple. I would recommend if you are curious about the Grateful Dead, uh, we do have stuff on our playlist for our season that you'll be able to see after all of this is done. I'm just going to put some some takes on there, maybe just a few. Uh, otherwise, I would say listen to Live Dead, the 1969 live record is kind of perfect. It's really a great encapsulation of what you think they should sound like, not the old stuff. Um, I would recommend really quickly a couple of things. I've been reading a lot of uh, books on the Civil War. So I started a book called 1861 uh, that I've been putting off for a long time. Found an audio book online. Uh, it's great. Uh, and then I'm also reading a book called The Destructive War. And it's got a picture of old people on it. And oh it's uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, Stonewall Jackson, and the Americans. And it's looking at um, basically just our impulse to uh, murder and destroy each other, hmm. which is pretty apt uh, for the world we live in today. Um, and then also I want to recommend, um, for what it's worth by Buffalo Springfield, in case you <laughs> forgot that song existed. Uh, we just had an amazing time just diving deep on that and, uh, on public enemy, he got game. So, and somehow Skilo got in there too. Skilo, I mean, <laughs> come on. If you don't know what's going on, then you're not living. Okay. So this is the end of the podcast. Any final thoughts, Kelly, about ever, anything? No. No. Perfect. Oh yeah. The Grateful Dead's right. Not as bad as I thought they were. Yeah. It's <laughs> good to put at the very end in the 50-minute section of the podcast. Yeah, you know, it's they're whatever. It's I'm I'm glad that it's over. I'm glad we did it. But I'm not uh, – I don't think I'm going to miss them. No. Not, for the, not for the most part. All right, so this is the part that we um, – that I love the most um, where we get to pick next week's uh, – you know, I mean, this is weird. It shapes your week. I mean, I never thought that the Grateful Dead would factor into this week. And it's kind of crazy that they did. I mean, it's crazy that I listened to it. You listened to this album over and over (laughs) and over. I mean, what a weird... You could have been listening to so much better music. I know. You could have been more entrenched in like like May of 91. And instead you had to listen to this shit. That's too bad. 
<laughs> it is too bad. So hopefully next week we're gonna get a we're gonna get a banger that we're gonna have lots to talk about, and then like I said, we'll do the supplemental as well. I think next week I'm gonna listen to all the Smashing Pumpkins because I don't think I've ever done that before. That's good. Because I just talked about James E. Huh? All right, I'm doing it. Perfect. So <laughs> we'll see if I hold my. So recommendations uh, for next week. <laughs> Have you, you heard of a listen- little band called The Smashing Pumpkins? <laughs> Do you want to listen with, uh, with with her? Go ahead and start listening now to everything. All right, so all albums. Uh, so Dylan and the Dead, blessedly coming off of this motherfucking list. Man, last week I was like four off. I'm never going to be that close again, and I didn't even get any kind of present or reward. Yeah, and also I added one song called George Jackson. So. <sighs> What's so that? It's a song. It's on. Uh... <laughs> it's a song. No, I mean there are a few on his like greatest hits album. He has three of them, and he'll just kind of like throw on a new song, which is kind of fun. I like that. Um, so, anyways, that I think that was on volume three, if I'm not mistaken. Could be somewhere else. I don't know. Masterpieces. I remember was like a a weird thing. But now there's like an album on Spotify called Sidetracks, where it just kind of collects, kind of like Biograph had three discs on it. This one kind of collects pretty much what Biograph has, but just maybe a few slight changes over the years because biograph came out in 85 so there's been a lot of stuff found since then mm-hmm. so i'm gonna go ahead and delete the row so this became number 39 i don't know if it was 39 last week who knows all right uh let's go ahead and pick the number one out of man it is like we are moving so fast i mean we're be done in no time 528, which was what we were last one week because I added a song. Yep. So Make one progress. out of 528, what do we got? 504. Mm, way off, 306. 504 would have been a song. Get ready for this one. Farewell, Angelina. Oh. 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 <laughs> All right. And then 306, I said? Yes, great. Little song called Hard Times in New York Town. Great song. Fucking yeah. love it. Oh yeah, it's uh it's on um the Bootleg series volume 1 through 3. It's also on the Whitmark demos which we talked about earlier, you know, Bob Dylan getting the rights to the Whitmark. Um this is a a song from 1962. I think this is before Freewheeling. So it's just him and his guitar singing about coming from New York Town. So, let's play a little clip of it if you're ready for it. Yeah. It's actually one of my favorites. I really love it. So actually, you haven't been to New York. Nope. So we'll talk a little bit, New York and stuff like that. Um, Which is stupid, because I've been to so many places in this country. Like, how did I skip that one? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. All right, here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. It's so cute. I, I love it. And at the very end, it's pretty prophetic, too, because he's, at the end, he's just like, you can stamp on my name, you can try to get my try to get me beat, but when I leave New York, I'll be standing on my feet. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, after, he, you know, we know his story. He came to New York with nothing, mm-hmm. and he became fucking Bob Dylan, you know, the greatest songwriter that's ever existed. <laughs> Ever. Unequivocally. You heard it here first. <laughs> Cannot be refuted. <laughs> In this episode where he is a terrible artist and showman, I will stand by Bob Dylan all day, every day. So tune in next week. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, so Hard Times in New York Town. There's a lot of versions of it. So I'll find some old bootlegs. We will definitely talk about that. We'll put out our New York Empire State of Mind. We're just going to do a New York playlist. Pretend like we're from New York or we know anything about New York. <laughs> uh, so join us next week for that. Um. Yeah. Bye. No. Be a real podcast. We are a real podcast. That's right. I always forget. We are a real podcast. I've started to write the show notes that I've been neglecting for a long time. 
So you can start with episode eight, which is one I just finished, and that's King of France. And you can read Kelly's King of France lyrics, which are perfect. Next week, <laughs> Kelly is going to let us know about the history of New York City. Oh, Jesus. It's going to be amazing. And she's oh, going to no. really dig deep in the Dutch. We're going to find a lot about why it's called New York. And the Dutch? Yeah, the Dutch were the first people that found it. Oh, this is going to be such a long week. It's going to be amazing. So <laughs> we are going to do a lot of New York stuff. So New York bands. Uh, I'm sorry. We're just talking about our Spotify playlist. Follow us on Twitter, SOTW Pod. Follow us at SOTW Pod everywhere. Really, what you want is the Spotify. You want to listen to our cool ass shit. Listen to this song. It's fucking amazing. It's on the bootleg series one through three. It's on volume nine as well. It's on a bunch of other bootlegs. What else do you need to know? Is that good, Kelly? Is that fine? We did it. We did it. Bye. (laughs) Every time. Every fucking time. Come here, ladies and gentlemen, and listen to my song. Sing it to you right, but you might think it's wrong. Just a little glimpse of a star out of town by an East Coast city that you all know well. It's hard times from the country living down in New York town. Old New York City is a friendly old town. From Washington Heights to Harlem on down. There's a mighty many people in the middle and all around. They'll kick you when you're up and knock.